0: You're listening to podcasts from the Congressional Internet Caucus Academy. Um, this particular event, you know, we wanted to um, kind of cover this this event. In um, this topic, at our recent conference called State of the Net Conference, which was back in February on February twenty eighth, um, we included um, a lot of folks from NTIA and FCC and the government um, at State of the Net, including um, NTIA Administrator Alan Davidson, uh, folks, other folks from NTIA, and other folks from Treasury to talk about the the broadband rollout. Um, and as Alan Davidson said um, at the time, um, this this moment in time is is historic uh, for the opportunity presented um, by the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act or the Broadband Infrastructure Plan. Um, to uh, the, the government is spending tens of billions of dollars to ensure that every American has access to broadband internet. And in, I've been working in telecommunications and internet policy since I was in law school. And in my my entire career, I am most excited about this moment in time where we have the opportunity as a nation to make sure that everybody has access to broadband internet. And the pandemic has really shown us that the internet is extremely important for career, for education, for everything, the things we've been talking about forever. I think the pandemic kind of brought it into stark focus about how important the internet is. And it's amazing that we have this opportunity to spend tens of billions of dollars in the next couple of years to to close this gap and to make sure that every American finally has a broadband internet. However, um, as I was preparing for State of the Net, um, I read a paper called the Global Semiconductor Shortage Impact on U.S. Broadband and Recommendations for Policymakers, which suggested that supply chain was going to be a major problem in the rollout of the Broadband Infrastructure Plan or the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act or the IIJA. And that was a little bit depressing. Um, and as I read more about it, I got even more depressed because my entire career I worked in internet policy, and I've never ever had to deal with supply chain issues um, as a, as an issue for me. Um, and I was grateful for that. Um, when you do internet policy, the kind of bits flow around the world and flow into our homes. Um, usually, this the, there's sometimes there's um, uh, traffic problems, but generally that thing is bad, that that the internet has worked great. And through the pandemic, the internet had worked amazing. Um, not many of us had had any outages when it comes to our internet service and that has enabled our kids to learn at home, uh, us to work from home. It has been an incredible success story uh, for the pandemic. But physical goods and atoms, not bits, um, have tr- problems when it comes to supply chain. And that's what we wanted to talk about today because that those supply chain issues will affect how we roll out broadband um, to the places in America that don't have them. And um, so two of, the, two of the issues that you know, we have that are presented to us are uh, chips, which are semiconductor chips and fiber or glass. So we're calling it at this event, chips and glass. Um, so we wanted to kind of talk about those the supply chain problems when it comes to those particular types of, uh, of things that go into um, broadband infrastructure. And um, we assembled a few folks today. Let me just start off by saying um, this is an all-male panel. And um, normally, we don't do all-male panels, and I apologize for that, but we put together this pretty quickly, and that's how it turned out, and I will endeavor to do better in the, in the future. So I wanted to acknowledge that up, up front. Um, but let me just introduce you to our speakers that we have. It's, um, uh, first is uh, Dleep. Uh, Trihari, from, who's the senior policy counselor for Access Partnership. And um, Deleep was the co-author of that, that paper that I read, the Global Semiconductor Shortage Impact on US Broadband and Recommendations for Policymaker. And I think we tweeted that out just now. Um, so if you go to uh, the Twitter account, at netcaucusac, um, it should be um, on there and you can download it and read it. It's really, really good. And, and Dilip we'll be talking about that a bit later. We also have Patrick Lozada, who's the director of global policy from the Telecommunications Industry Association and Gary Bolton, who stepped in at the last minute for Jordan from, um, Jordan, uh, From and Gary is the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. So let me just kind of get things going by asking Patrick, um, who works for TIA to kind of like talk a little bit more broadly about the, the challenges for supply chain when it comes to rolling out the broadband infrastructure plan.
1: Absolutely. Happy to talk about that. And thank you, Tim. So my name is Patrick Lozada, and I'm director of global policy at the Telecommunications Industry Association. TIA represents the global manufacturers and suppliers of telecommunications equipment and services. So that's, you know, from the fiber in the ground to the satellites in orbit, our members are the ones who are really building a lot of the equipment that makes the broadband infrastructure possible. And that's why we as an organization are so deeply invested in the success of the IIJA's broadband provisions and, you know, the success of America's networks more broadly. But I know we're not alone. You know, as Tim was saying before, we all are keenly aware of how much we rely on our networks uh, over, over the past year or two. Uh, since COVID. So, you know, maybe just to to step back when we're thinking about the supply chain issues, I just wanna acknowledge first how the pandemic impacted the supply chain overall. First of all, there was a significant impact in terms of the demands um, from customers and from operators um, looking at the telecommunication space, right? Um, So you saw a significant overall increase in demand Uh, as people relied on their devices to work remotely, access digital services, attend school remotely. So you saw folks increase their purchases of things like laptops, uh, home uh, network equipment, and other devices. And At the same time, you saw significant unexpected decreases in demand for other uh, products, such as uh, enterprise equipment, right? If you're not in the office, uh, your office might not need to be building out a lot of that enterprise-side network equipment. And so, you, know, you see a lot of chaos in terms of what companies had been expected to produce and then what they needed to pivot and, and make for, for the home. And then on top of that, you have real impacts uh, and, and, and crises in some parts of the supply chain as a combination of, of COVID and, and a number of unforeseen factors impacted the ability of manufacturers to continue to supply key parts uh, of, of broadband products, uh, you know, Dalip is going to talk about chips later, but chips are are a big part of that. Um, there are a range of things, including natural disasters, um, interruptions in transportation due to COVID, workforce uh, issues, um, and uh, you know, changes uh, in demand that caused the overall supply of chips and the ability to get them to shrink precipitously. And while we've heard this a lot uh, about the auto sector, and I don't mean shrink in terms of overall terms, but relative to the overall demand, right? Um, although factories were working at you know, 110% of the time, um, you saw uh, the, the demand increase significantly. And while we've heard about this as an auto story, autos is really just a small part of this picture. They're about 7% of overall demand. Telecommunications is about 50% of overall demand. And so you can imagine the impact on the availability of telecommunications product is significant. Uh, you also saw some impacts on the optical fiber side, um, as I'm sure Gary's gonna, gonna talk about later. You know, uh, Groups like US Telecom were reporting uh, one to two year uh, product uh, uh, wait times for, for optical fiber. And so as companies were at the same time expanding networks, expanding access, there was a period where there was significant delays in the ability to get these products. Now I understand some of this is being addressed and and certainly uh, we want Congress to do more on on the CHIPS front, but um, this sort of uh, tsunami of supply and demand that has put a real uh, pinch on uh, the folks who are building the network equipment and our ability to stay connected.
0: So let me me just uh, build on that. I think um, uh, Patrick, you had mentioned that the internet had done extremely well during the pandemic. Um, and, you know, we were super hopeful that now that the broad, you know, for the people that had broadband, it performed really, really well. I mean, and it, there's a lot of folks that um, have done studies on this, and maybe in an upcoming event, we'll talk about um, how the network had performed during the pandemic. Cause I think it's a really amazing story. Um, and the idea that for, we were going to be able to use the infrastructure bill to get, broadband to the people who hadn't had it before. Um, and what a terrible time, you know, this this happens in the supply chain when we're on the cusp of actually closing the digital divide, which is something, you know, when I first started working in the space, there was a discussion of um, Larry Irving from NTIA had coined the term, uh, the digital divide. And, you know, we've been doing this for like 20 some 25 years, and now, now we have this opportunity and what a terrible time. So let me just ask leap. I mean, what a terrible time um, and can you expand more on what Patrick said about chips and what type of chips are these? I mean, are these, these the chips that um, crypto miners are using, are these like high-end gamers, are these these the chips or or what what type of chips are they and how do they apply to, how do how they different from other types of chips?
2: Thanks, Tim. Uh, Really appreciate the opportunity to speak again. My name is Dilip Shahari, and I'm with Access Partnership, a a global tech policy consulting firm. And uh, we did the paper, as Tim mentioned, a few months ago on the impacts of the chip shortage on the broadband sector. And Tim, I think it's a great um, first question to ask what types of chips are these? Um, So when people think about chips, they often think about you know, the, the big fancy digital CPUs that are at the very core of your laptop or your desktop or, or your mobile uh, device. Um, you know, these are hundreds of dollars um, made by leading companies, you know, the Intel's Qualcomm's, uh, you know, AMD's of the world, um, these, these digital CPUs. Um, but in reality, uh, most of the chips that devices use uh, certainly in telecom but in many other sectors as well are actually um, you know much smaller typically you know dedicated single purpose or specialty type of chips for example if you're building say a cable modem to install broadband service in someone's home um, that yes there may be a central cpu chip in there but there's also going to be um, radio frequency chips there's going to be a Wi-fi chip potentially there's going to be a chip for the interface with the actual coaxial cable that comes in. There may be a Bluetooth chip that, that goes in there. There's another chip for the ethernet controller on the back of the device. And, and these are sort of, you know, more specialty single purpose kind of chips. They're often not necessarily using the cutting edge state of the art, you know, three gigahertz CPU type of technologies. They're usually normally cheaper. You might be able to buy these parts for a couple of bucks uh, on the market. Um, but that is where we're seeing uh, a real impact in terms of supply chain shortage. And so this is why it's it's not just sort of, you know, when we think of chips, it's not just your, the the core of your phone or your device. It's all of these sort of industrial automotive applications, but, but also, you, have, you know, broadband applications, building cable modems, building routers, these kinds of kinds of devices where we've had this impact. And it's not so much necessarily that the U.S. is not, you know, leading on the technology there. It's just that a lot of the manufacturing of these chips over the past few decades has moved overseas, uh, especially to Asia. So as we think about solving the supply chain crunch, we yes, it's important to main technology leadership on the cutting edge stuff, but it's also important to solve the broader supply chain issues, especially on these, you know, single purpose specialty kinds of chips that are really important to the telecom uh, sector in
0: particular. We'll, we'll come back to like what um, what legislation there's in Congress that affects chips and things like that. What the marketplace um, we'll get into more in the marketplace later. But um, let me just go to to Gary um, to talk about you know the the holdup when it comes to fiber and and um, uh, how how the marketplace is is being um, uh, influenced by supply chain shortages and how what that means for broadband rollout in the in the plan on, with regard to fiber.
3: Hey, thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. I'm Gary Bolton. I'm the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. And for those not familiar with Fiber Broadband Association, we're the largest association dedicated to all fiber um, optic broadband. And, um, you know, we represent the not about 52 percent of our members are service providers. So those are from the big service providers down to um, rural um, providers, as well as municipalities, electric co-ops, and so forth. And then the other half of our membership is on the supply side. So that's from the fiber manufacturers, the electronic manufacturers, the deployment specialists, consulting engineers. Um, so we have the full ecosystem, which kind of differentiates us from other associations. And so what we're really focused is on digital equity, and we're really excited about the infrastructure, um, IJA and you know, this once-in-a-generation opportunity to be able to get this deployed. And we're really zeroing in on the B aspect of that. That's the, as Tim mentioned, that's the NTI's $42.45 billion um, infrastructure bill and our infrastructure program. And you know, if you haven't seen our playbook, there's a copy that we put out to all the state broadband offices to really be able to help. Accelerate the availability of getting fiber to all Americans, and so when we look at it from the entire ecosystem, there's really three components on supply side that um, we're looking at, and so first is um, supply chain on fiber, the second is as uh, Salit mentioned chips, and the third is the human component, and that's workforce. So let me kind of hit those um, one by one. So if I start off by just looking at at fiber, um, we're actually in pretty good shape. You know the actual production of glass. Um, Last year, um, there was about 72 million miles of demand in the U.S. for fiber, and our domestic suppliers delivered 109 million miles of supply. So we had a 34% surplus, and so we actually exported 37 million miles of fiber. Um, So our domestic suppliers can focus that um, surplus more domestic use. And so the real key is um, having consistency and visibility because, um, you know, we've seen, you know, as we have um, this infrastructure money, it's so not just infrastructure, but, you know, you take um, CARES and ARPA and ARDOF and infrastructure, you put all that together and we're going from a federal subsidy run rate of about $4 billion a year to next year, we'll be up to about $30 billion. So we're seeing a significant increase in the amount of um, federal subsidies and then on top of that there's a lot of attractive private capital um, you are seeing you know the cable companies are now putting in more fiber um, all the major um, ilex are you know launching a whole lot more fiber and so you know there's a, a, we have a real opportunity to be able to get this infrastructure out there and be able to do that um, so where where are the constraints and it's really on the resin side so you know putting glass um, here let me grab some. Sorry about that um i mean if you take a look at fiber see if i can pull this up um so i don't know if you guys can see that but basically you know it comes in a jacket that's armored and then the actual fibers come into i don't know if you can at all see that but so there's more than just glass so there's you know so we've had seen um, resin shortages and we think that to build cable um, should abate in the next uh, 16 months. And so we've seen announcements from plan expansions from all our domestic manufacturers. And um, we feel that we're on a um, you know, good position to get ahead of that. Uh, again, it's really about stability and um, being able to have visibility to long-range forecast. When we think about on the chip side, it's a little bit different in that. <sighs> You think about, you know, everybody likes to talk about can't get a rental car. And, you know, I ordered a Ford Bronco a year ago and may never see one. Um, it, it's, it's about geometries. And so like when you look at Taiwan, TSMC, they're starting to mothball larger geometries. And so the good news for the fiber industry is that fiber industry is probably like five to seven years ahead of like cable, for example. And so we use very, very small geometries. And so what that means is that, um, you can have the more advanced geometries can be um, provide larger yields on a, the, 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 the wafer. And so um, you can be able to get a better yield. The problem is when you start to prioritize things like automobiles, which are older, larger geometries, then you have to kind of switch over production to the larger geometries. And so that becomes very costly and time consuming. And so that can really be disruptive, as Dalip said. You know, they're a big impact to the telecommunications industry. So we have to be very careful that we don't um, disrupt that. Now, from an automotive perspective, um, they have a much longer lead time because of more uh, regulations, like crash tests and so, and so forth. Um, so those, you know, where telecom, you know, we have to protect the network security. So, but those are not physical. you know doing crash tests and things like that so that looks pretty good um but the kind of the net all this out is yes you know we are seeing larger longer lead times on components that have jumped as the says up to like you know a year the where we really can mitigate this issue is to be able to have good long-range forecasts and good stability and forecasts because really what we're doing is not really have so much a supply issue, but more of a demand issue. And as people get more concerned about the availability of supply, then they start putting forecasts into multiple spots. And so if you put out your forecast to six different suppliers, um, then it, it really becomes confusing over to what's the real demand. And then when people start hoarding um, and stockpiling you know, fiber or chips, then again, that makes it you know, kind of like a toilet paper situation.
0: Um, well, let me let me just go to um, uh, Dilip and to Patrick and talk about that timeline, right? Like, I think one of the things that concerns me is that, yeah, you know, there's a timeline that NTIA and FCC have to get this out, right? And, you know, in a, it, I, normally I wouldn't care um, about supply chain issues. I just don't care that much about it. <laughs> we do, it's the internet caucus, we don't really care that much. Um, but well, I care about getting broadband out in the statutory period of time that they have to do it. So can, you know, Patrick, uh, Deleep can you talk about from your perspective, what what the clock looks like, and you know what what are the requirements that may may come into play, including the uh, requirement in the the uh, the infrastructure plan um, to buy America for some of these components. Sure, I'm happy to start the
1: conversation off there. You know, NTIA, OMB, other executive agencies have a pretty short period of time, 180 days from publication uh, from the signature of the IIGA, which would be May 15th if we're working on a, a, a regular weekday schedule. Um, so, you know, looking at that uh, overall calendar, uh, it's a really short period of time to come out with a really complex set of rules as it pertains to building out our broadband infrastructure. And on top of that, um, you know, to have to deal with this supply chain crisis and statutory language in the IIGA, which has the potential to really make it much more challenging to deploy Broadband internet in, in any sort of reasonable period of time. And I want to talk about that a little more bit more. And that's the, the, the Build America, Buy America, Title IX of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. And what that requires is that all manufactured products uh, as part of the IIJA have to meet a two-part test. And that's number one, they have to be manufactured in the United States, and they have to contain fifty five percent components of US origin. And now, you know. This makes sense for concrete and steel. It makes sense for roads. There are industries for which it makes sense. It simply doesn't work for broadband. Um, you know, we've talked to our membership extensively. You know, we know the industry well, and we're not hyperbolizing by saying there is no combination of products and services that meet the IAJA threshold. And if we don't have some sort of waiver from this, zero users will be connected to the internet end-to-end by the IAJA because there's no combination of products that can make this make sense. And there is no way to reshore the supply chain in as short of a time as the law asks us to do and connect users to the internet. Um, partly, you, know, you don't need to listen or trust me on this. Actually, the federal government itself has been saying this in reports that it's put out over the last few months. Um, according to the uh, su- supply chain reports on semiconductors and the ICT supply chain, of leading edge semiconductors for 5G come from the United States. 90% of macro radio components are sourced from Asia specifically. And there's an extremely limited domestic capacity for things like printed circuit boards, printed circuit assemblies and other products. And so you're in a situation where companies don't even have control necessarily over those elements of the supply chain, right? They're sourced from suppliers. They can't move those overnight. And it takes between three to five years to build something like a fab in the U.S. And when you're looking at a lot of these components, uh, the number one source of value when you're breaking it down from a Buy America perspective is the chips. It's the majority of the value across a number of parts of the supply chain. And so we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's going to need to happen for us to have some kind of waiver to do anything at all.
0: Dilip, can you, can you talk? I mean, uh, Gary Gary's sitting there waiting for his Ford Bronco to arrive. Um, but, you know, and I, I, I really empathize with him. Um, I feel for him. Um, but, um, you know, we're, there are people waiting in America waiting for um, broadband um, through this plan. Can you kind of maybe elaborate on the timeline and also kind of build off what Patrick said uh, when it comes to, you know, the shortages and when it comes to chips and buy American things like that?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I agree with um, everything Patrick said. Um, just to, you know, amplify some of these points, I mean, I think uh, the CEO of Cisco was publicly reported as saying their their chip issues were expected to continue into 2023. Um, so, you know, of course, and in terms of the, yes, it's it's unfortunate that people are having difficulty getting cars, but as you talked about at the top, Tim, the importance of broadband is demonstrated through the pandemic. Uh, you know, I would I would go out there and say that the pandemic proved that, For at least for many American families, broadband is at least as important, if not more important than a new vehicle. Um, just given, given everything going on in our economy, even, even a, even a Ford Bronco even a Ford Bronco. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, the chip shortages are continuing and they're real. Uh, I believe just yesterday it was publicly reported that the Biden administration held a classified briefing um, for folks, you know, know, with a great concern about where we were uh, on on the supply chains. And and in terms of, you know, the auto sector, I know there's a statistic out there, the Secretary of Commerce has mentioned, you know, it takes a thousand chips for a car and 2000 chips for an electric car. I mean, talking to some of the companies that we talked to for our paper, you know, they pointed out, look, to do an end-to-end broadband connection when you consider all of the routers and upgrades and products that you need to be doing, you know, to serve one single home basically takes the equivalent of 7,000 chips um, to, to roll out broadband um, to, to a single house. So, um, you know, there was talk at some point last year that the administration was gonna use the Defense Production Act or something like that and intervene in the marketplace to favor the auto sectors. I think that's, they've, they've backed away from that now, which I think is a good thing. Um, because that would you know, severely cause a lot of disruption. And at the same time, as Patrick mentioned, you've got the $40 billion in IIJA money you know, feeding into, which is not you know, an insignificant uh, increase to what the normal private level of investment would be in any given year. So that's also sort of feeding into the demand side of the curve at the same time as the government was considering take making it harder to access chips for the broadband uh, sector. So you could run into a real crunch And, you know, we still are are hearing that, you know, despite some of the long-term supply contracts, uh, you know, companies are now waiting more than a year for access to chips, or they're going on to the spot market to try and buy these, you know, 2 or $3 components. And because of price gouging, instead of paying $2 for that, for that RF chip, they might have to pay $200 for it. And an auto manufacturer that needs that chip, they can just roll that into the cost of their $30,000 vehicle. But if you're a broadband company looking to deploy, you know, cable modems at $150 a pop. That's just not sustainable.
0: So it's a real problem, and it's a and it's still a real crunch here. So you know the taxpayer has already paid these tens of billions of dollars for the broadband rollout, and you're saying that the chips will, if if there's price gouging, um, or if you if the if the prices rise dramatically, uh, that would just eat away at taxpayer dollars and not actually achieve the goal of broadband rollout.
2: Absolutely. I mean, on the one hand, you've got the government making a historic investment into broadband to try and finally solve, you know, close the digital divide. And on the other hand, there's talk of, you know, favoring the auto sector for access to chips, which is only going to drive up the price um, and reduce what you're going to get for that $40 billion. So don't give with one hand while taking away with the, with the other hand, I would say.
0: So, so Patrick, um, delete Gary. Is there anything in Congress right now that's anybody doing anything in Congress right now to maybe help or hurt <laughs> uh, this particular issue? Um, I know there's a lot of talk about the Chips Act. It's not something I work on very much, but um, is that going to help? Is that going to hurt? And what other things are going on out hey, there? Tim,
3: that... be, before we leave the Buy America thing, um, I just want to kind of separate two things. Um, so, you know, Patrick and Deleep talked about chips, but um, we also need to talk about the fiber side. And, you know, again, since our members represent both, the on the fiber side, you know, we definitely have domestic supply. We put in a big effort to, um, we have a, um, a, a working group underway that's called Trusted Fiber to protect our critical infrastructure and making sure that you deploy U.S. fiber or from our uh, U.S. allies, because, um, you know, obviously we don't want taxpayers spending another $2 billion ripping out, um, you know, things that are, could cause uh, national security issues. So the, you know, absolutely from the fiber industry, Buy America, you know, easy to, um, you know, we have those domestic supply, really really easy to implement. On the chip side, as Patrick outlined, it's uh, a little more complex because there's a lot of moving parts in there. And to, um, I always found that, you know, I used to work for a U.S. manufacturer and I always found that the only people that ever complied with Buy America were the Koreans or anybody else willing to lie because um, it's, you know, when you start to try to get your content, it's very difficult to figure out. The other impact is on the, inc- the cost increase and Delete talked about that. So when you do put in on the chip side, a Buy America provision, um, you're moving things from some offshore areas to Mexico and other um, areas that are going to increase um, cost between, you know, and this is not expedite fees and things that the Leafs talking about, this is just um, good, normal, um, you know, procurement issues is, you know, it's going to be for the fiber industry, for our electronics, about eight to 10% impact for other industries that have larger geometries, it's going to be about a 12 to 15% impact to cost. And then when you have, um, you know, the other issues we have just the supply chain overall is just, you're not going to be able to put things on boats, you're having to you know fly those to the expedite charges in addition to the gouging that leap talked about so what it means to the infrastructure money is means that projects are going to end up costing 20% more than you anticipate and it makes it very very difficult for people applying for grants to when they do their feasibility study cuz on top of all this then you have this massive inflation that we're seeing and uh, you know I didn't get to the workforce component of this but um, you know, the insulation costs. So it's very difficult because you, by the time you get your grant approved, um, you can't afford to do the project because your costs have gone up. And so just trying to anticipate inflation, um, the cost of components costs, everything. It's, um, a lot of moving parts. And so,
0: so so we'll get to the, uh, you know, we'll, that's maybe some other point. We'll get to the, um, um, the labor issue and the and the training and the jobs issue um i would recommend i think american enterprise institute um uh did a, an event uh probably last week and they they actually skipped over the chips and glass part and spent a lot of the time talking about the labor part i'll, I'll try to pull up that video uh and put it in the chat in just a second but just hey, let me go back to um patrick and to to Dilip on you know what what's going on in congress and how it, how does it help how does it hurt And what could they do
1: Absolutely, I'm I'm happy to take a first crack at that. Um, you know, uh, you know certainly in the context of the USICA America competes uh, conference, uh, there's some really important legislation in there. I think number one is the, the Chips Act, um, but I don't think the Chips Act is enough, and I don't think that's discussed about enough. You know, the extent to which Asia, uh, you know, countries in EMEA elsewhere provide subsidies for domestic industry is even in consideration of the CHIPS Act, significantly beyond what the US would spend. And so we need to make ambitious investments in this area. That means not just funding the Chips for America um, Act, it, it also means funding the FABS Act, which provides an additional tax credit for US manufacturing of, of chips and ensuring that we have a, a clean bill. You know, Folks have been trying to, to toss in unrelated stuff, asking for things like nationalization or production along specific nodes just to, to suit the auto sector. Um, I, I don't think that's the best approach, um, and that's not going to help broadband. Um, but um, another thing is um, you know, ensuring that we have sufficient funding for rip and replace. Um, as you may know, um, the U.S. took vitally needed action to remove equipment from Huawei's ETE that poses a national security threat to the United States. Um, but uh, it turns out, um, after going back and assessing the amount of uh, equipment that is in U.S. networks, the amount of money that we set aside wasn't enough. And so uh, we need to ensure that companies have enough money to, to take security seriously. Uh, and, and we can't let rural, um, underserved communities uh, and operators in those communities go bankrupt, um, while at the same time we're trying to connect more
2: people to the Internet. Uh, delete. Yeah, when it comes to broadband and chips, I would say, number one, do no harm. And if you're um, intervening in in the industrial marketplace as a government to favor the auto sector, that would probably be harmful, as I've discussed, to broadband. So think very carefully before doing that, um, or not at all. Um, Number two, fully endorse um, what Patrick said about the CHIPS Act, although I think everyone realizes that that's a little bit more of a long-term play um, and, and won't necessarily help us like right immediately, in the, in the next months uh, as we're dealing with this. Number three, to the extent that there is um, actual price gouging going on um, in some in the spot marketplace for some of these um, specialty chips and components, that is maybe something where the government could look to make sure that you know price gouging um, is not uh, happening. Um, and uh, and number four, as the chip sacks is being implemented. Uh, it's just important that um, folks on the Hill and in the and in the administration just keep an eye not just on the overall numbers of chips, but the types of chips and the types of applications um, that they're being used for. Because it's not it's not sort of a one size fits all. There's a difference between these cutting edge digital CPUs and these specialty chips that are needed for more commonplace applications in industry or or in broadband. So just be sure to you know I would tell members of Congress to just keep asking questions and. Make making sure that, you know, oh, are are all of these sectors, you know, having their needs met uh, in terms of the flow of chips, because it's not really a one-size-fits-all
0: kind of problem. can you talk, Dali, a little bit the what is the timeline for actually rolling out broadband and and how quickly do they have to act on chips?
2: Um, Well, I I think, you know... (laughs) Clearly, immediate action on the CHIPS Act will help. Um, where it will help, I will say, is that um, a lot of the procurements that broadband companies do for their equipment and in turn that their equipment vendors do for CHIPS, those procurement cycles are normally set, you know, two, three years in advance. So, you know, if we're going to, Try and tackle this problem both in the short term and the long term. It's sort of imperative for Congress to act right now to make sure that the Chips Act um, gets funded. Uh, yeah, I think I think we're still going to be facing you know some crunch here because the IIJA timelines are so uh, are so aggressive. But I think you know the, the, the fast action by Congress there would help.
0: And Gary, do you have any um, do you have anything to add to Patrick's comment about rip and replace? Um,
3: not really on rip and replace. I mean, obviously, we don't want to um, make bad decisions, and that's why, you know, having a using trusted fiber is really important to you know make sure that we because right now when you think about um, you know Asia, China is largely served um, with China, and so they have a huge surplus, and so it's very easy for gray market and things to come in. Um, you know, when you go through some distributor, you don't really know the source, and so. Being you know, able to defend, identify where um, fiber has been made, it's been ethically produced and um, ethically priced and so forth is really important. Um, the other part I think that's you know, just overall is on legislation is you know, we have the new Office of Manufacturing Security and Resiliency, um, you know, coordination with industry stakeholders to um, make sure that we identify you know, vulnerabilities and gaps that could disrupt you know, critical goods. So like in the fiber industry, you know, that's, I mentioned resin is really important. So those resins, gases like D4 and helium, and just a range of metals that are needed for optical communication supply chain is, is really important to, um, you know, so the focus on. Um, but at the end of the day, too, you know, what we're seeing is some states looking at, you know, how do they um, put in forecast and be able to secure supplies, you know, kind of their own arsenal. We got to be really careful that we don't create this demand problem. So, you know, the more stability and long range visibility, because it's not a big issue to have a 52 week lead time if you've planned for that and you've put your your forecast in. So, what we see is a lot of small providers are able to have fiber when they need it because, as you know, they work with a consulting engineer. As they do the feasibility study, they map out exactly how much fiber they need. They put the order in so that by the time they're ready to put fiber in the ground, it's been 52 weeks and they have it. And so, you know, having that long range of visibility. So, things that, um, you know, an easy thing that, that um, Congress could do is to just make all the infrastructure money, you know, for fiber and not get into, you know, uh, complexities of what is it going to be because you know, we're talking about infrastructure. And so wireless needs fiber. Everybody needs fiber. That's kind of a no brainer. And that gives better visibility to ramp up more production because if the suppliers know exactly how much they need to build. They can invest in in, increase in their facilities. You know, we saw $300 million investment last year in um, domestic manufacturing of fiber, and we can continue to see an uplift in that investment.
0: Well, I promised everybody we'd be done in about 40 minutes. Um, let me just, if I can just go to Patrick and to delete, just give some f- final thoughts on on, on this topic.
2: Um, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, yeah, I just think, um, the, the chips issue, I, I, it's talked about a lot and you hear about the auto sector a lot. I think you know the Biden administration is, is worried about it. Um, the auto sector is out there publicly and visibly talking about it a lot more, but the re- reality for the broadband companies is, is also really significant. They don't talk about it publicly as much, but there's a survey out there that something like 74% of all the broadband operators have been reporting challenges finding equipment. So the challenge is real. Um, and you know, before reacting too quickly to what one industry sector is saying, I just think that everyone um, in Congress should take a deep breath and understand the holistic impact. Of some of these um, policies, especially on on broadband, which has really proven its worth, and and we all we all inter- understand intuitively now after the pandemic and two years of people, um, you know, working from home and going to school and getting telehealth from home, we all intuitively understand the the, the vital importance of broadband now. So I think that would just be my closing message.
0: Patrick,
1: absolutely. Um you know, this is a once in a generation opportunity to connect Americans to the internet and it is imperative that we get it right. And to do that, the reality is is that we're gonna need some form of waiver from these requirements for the short term, uh, specifically the Buy America requirements. And that's just the threshold issue. If there's no waiver, um, then there's gonna be a basic lack of opportunity to source products that go into broadband networks. In the longer term, we need to think about smart ways to re incentivize manufacturing in the United States. You know, if a, if a content threshold doesn't work, how can we think about what parts of the supply chain we really need here? What is the highest value to American workers, and what what puts the most people uh, in, in in the most productive and remunerative positions? Um, and we think that by taking that uh, short term approach of getting a waiver and strategizing in the long term, how do we have a Chips uh, Act for the telecom industry? we can build more here, um, I think that may be a productive way to think about this challenge and invest both in our connectivity and in our manufacturing capacity.
0: Uh, thank you. Um, I did mention, um, again, Gary had brought up um, the labor issue. Um, I linked in the in the chat to, the American Enterprise Institute event uh, with Deb, uh, Senator Fisher um, and Ajit Pai moderated it. And towards the end, they have a pretty long discussion of, of labor. Um, normally, I don't address supply chain issues from the Congressional Internet Caucus perspective. I certainly d- usually don't get into labor that much. Um, I'm way out of my depth today, but um, I wanted to thank you know, all of you. And again, to, to quote Alan Davidson from the C um, of the Net conference a few weeks ago, um, this is a historic opportunity. I think Patrick um, mentioned that as well. This is an incredible opportunity. The money has already been allocated and we need to make this happen. So um, I want to thank Gary, Patrick, and, and Dilip uh, for your time. I want to thank the Congressional Internet Caucus uh, co-chairs, Congresswoman Anna Eshoo, Congressman Mike, Michael McCall, Senators Patrick Leahy and John Thune. Um, thank everybody for, for joining. We'll have this video up on YouTube very shortly um, after it's done streaming, and then we'll, we'll get this out so you can watch it again and with the transcript. So um, thanks, everybody. And, and that's our run today. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.